That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Bob. Bob. I have to get back to work. The Bob Seska Show. Former Nation's Capital, it is Wednesday, March 1, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 770 of the Biden-Harris administration, 615 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on Instagram, the Bob Seska. That's my handle. I'm doing videos there. Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go. Spoutable, just Bob Seska. And our Patreon is bobseskashow.com. So not too long ago, I got an indie music submission from someone named King Cyborg. Just immensely powerful music, gorgeous singing voice, perfect for the show. And then I read about King Cyborg's story, which involves fleeing her home country of Angola to escape political persecution due in part to her sexuality. You really need to stick around for this talk, seriously. I don't want to spoil anything here. Suffice to say, she's an inspiration, especially for people who are experiencing political persecution right here in the United States. King Cyborg is also one of the subjects of the award-winning documentary Unsettled. Link in the description for that. You can find her work via kingcyborg.com. Also, links for Spotify in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Meantime, please help support this show by subscribing to our Patreon, bobseskashow.com. Okay, stop what you're doing and listen to the story of the great King Cyborg. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Hello. You know, Hello. I have to confess something. I, I'm like a little bit nervous because I'm kind of like, I'm a fanboy now. <laughs> I'm like a King Cyborg fanboy. And it's just like, oh my God, I can't, I'm, I'm going to talk to her today. That's incredible. Oh my God. That is so awesome. Well, I'm a fan now because I can't stop listening to your podcast. <laughs> oh, so. thank you so much. <laughs> absolutely. You know, you have such an incredible story and I can absolutely hear it in your music. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You know, just this lowly fanboy. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Bro. Do, do you ever miss Luanda Island? I do. I do a lot. Yeah. A lot, Bob. Yeah. I, I, I do almost every day. Honestly, that's my motherland. That's where I was born. That's where yeah, yeah. I grew up. That's where my family is, you know? Mm-hmm. So absolutely. How many years did you live there? Oh, I lived there until I was, let me see, 20, 
2019, 20. And that's when things just went downhill, you know, <laughs> as yeah, you can yeah, yeah. see it. Yeah. <laughs> do you still have family back there? Um, do you keep in touch with any of them at all? I had to work. Yeah. Um, to rework my relationship with my parents because yeah. um, we were not talking for so many years after what happened. So yeah. I would say that we are still reconnecting. Mm -hmm. So I do have contact with them. Yeah. And yeah, we're still, you know, just rebuilding all that right, right. connection and love that we had before. So did you have to hide your sexuality from them as well as the government? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, my family, I come from a family who is very religious. So that's my background. Yeah. And with my family working for the president in my country, that was, well, basically I am the black sheep in the family because being gay, it's like an embarrassment. So I had to hide that for so many years mm -hmm. until I came out and... That didn't go very well. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I had to hide for so many years, for so many years. And so you say your your parents worked for the president? So now my, not my parents per se, uh -huh. but uh, my, I have my, my uncle who is very close. It's like my, my mom's uh, brother. Um, I have a few other family members who work for them. So my family is pretty known in my country. Yeah. So having a gay person in the family, it's, it was like a scandal for them. So it's something I had to hide. God, that must have been immensely challenging to, uh, yeah. to hide that, not only from society in general, from the mm -hmm. government, but from your own family. In that sense, how traumatic was that alone? The, the idea that not even the people who are biologically closest to me are accepting of this how did you especially as a younger person how do you navigate around that um it was pretty hard yeah. it was pretty hard uh to the point where and i i hope i can use these words here yeah. and to the point that i many so many times i thought about committing suicide uh. because to me it was you know there's no way, if, if I am not going to be able to live my truth, I'd rather just, you know, leave. So I tried to do that so many times. So that has been in my thought when I was like a teenager. Um, so it was pretty hard, um, especially when I, you know, I sort of came out to my colleagues in, at school and mm -hmm. the reaction and the feedback was, it was just horrible horrible so that was very traumatizing too so i had to um to kind of go out of the come out of the closet and go back in and that was like a back and forth thing because i had friends yeah. and i had close friends and whenever i would try to come out to those friends the reaction was always terrible it was just bad so i had to consistently going back and forth like yeah. and there was a point that i just decided you know what i'm not i'm just gonna hide it and not gonna say anything so that was pretty traumatic and lonely because i didn't have any gay friends mm -hmm. i yeah so it, it was a pretty lonely teenage face i would say that that's the time in my life where 
It was pretty bad. Pretty bad. Was it violent? Was there any sort of violent bullying that would go on? Or was it more just along the lines of name calling? And uh, yeah, you don't get to play with us. You, get, you have to be in your own separate space. What kind of experience was that? How did they specifically treat you? So the uh, this friends, it was mostly just commenting on it and saying, "Hey, we you know we don't deal with this thing. This is not of our culture. And what are you talking about? And all of that." And uh, well, it became violent and physical when uh, later in, the, in those years when I moved in with my wife, and even though we tried to hide it, it was just pretty obvious. We had people trying to burn us alive inside of our own house. Um, we had people following us, and it was just like and a series of events that we had to fight for our lives and hide. And we had it, it was like a constant moving from places to places. Mm-hmm. Runaway. That's like that was the mode and the mindset where. I was at that time, like just run away from places to places. We moved to a new neighborhood and then they find out, oh, those are lesbians. And then the abuse and then the bullying. And, you know, we had uh, we had trash, trash, like really trash bags being put on in front of our doors. You know, you wake up in the morning (laughs) and you try to go to school at work and you just have like a pile of trash at your door and you have like written offensive rating things on like on your wall and it, it was pretty traumatic yeah pretty traumatic <laughs> and, and yeah. before you met your now wife her, her name is mari right is it mari that is correct mari, mari correct mm-hmm. so prior to that especially in your younger years were you aware that there was this broader culture worldwide of gay people that were able to more or less freely exist uh, where they are did you have that sense that there was something beyond Angola that you could aspire to as far as being able to live your own truth, live your own life as who you are? That is such a great question. Um, so here's how we went. My parents always had friends in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. So that was okay for them. Hmm. So I would. my parents never thought me that, oh, you have to judge people based on, you know, where they live, who who they are, basically. Yeah. So that was never discussed. I was never thought to hate gay people or have something against them. So I always thought that as a normal thing until I started to, you know, watch TV and all of that. And I started to be, uh, to have more knowledge on, oh, wait, so there are people actually who don't like uh so have like issues with that and uh, uh that at that time more people were coming out in my country and that there was like a lot of murder going on and all of that yeah and uh that's when i also start seeing that okay if i come out to my parents that's gonna be a big issue especially because of the family i come from so I didn't have much knowledge when it comes to like the LGBTQ community. I just knew, always knew that I am attracted to girls that 
I, I just knew. You just know. When you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I didn't have, like, friends to talk to. I didn't have, like, more insight on about gay people. Even the word lesbian. And I only knew about this word, like, later in, in life. Mm-hmm. I knew I... I like girls but just the wording and and all the pronouns i learned like later in life um so when you ask if i saw myself right moving somewhere else that has a better concentration of gay people that Mm -hmm. happens later in life when i was in my teenage years and things were getting pretty tight with me being not being able to express myself and and be my true self that's when I started realizing, you know, I'm pretty sure there's something better than this place. There's just no way that I'm going to, I'm I either going to end up like just taking my life or hmm. I'm going to have to run away from this place, which is what I had to do later in life then. Was Mari your first relationship? No. Okay. <laughs> <She was not>. <laughs> <laughs> so when you had your first relationship, though, was that a source of comfort or was that a source of stress? Like, OK, not only do I have to watch out for myself now when it comes to bullies and so a persecution, but I also have to watch out for this other person. Was that a consideration or were you just like, OK, this is great. I finally found someone else who is gay like me. That wasn't really the concern, per se, because... It wasn't really a relationship. It was someone I was dating, let's just say like that. It wasn't really serious because we were both still in closet as well. So it was just, you know, just a dating thing, but Mm. also like don't tell anyone, just just pretend nothing's happening. So, yeah. So how did you meet Mari? Oh, I met Mari. So here's the story. Um, So there was a, couple gay people who moved in my neighborhood and and I heard that from my neighbors they were just commenting saying oh my god did you see these gay people just moved to the neighborhood and all of that just talking a lot of shit about it and in my mind I was like oh holy shit I'm so happy like gay people are moving here this is fucking awesome (laughs) um so I waited I waited when like the street was a little bit calmer and I kid you not, I went home and I wrote this long letter just telling, Hey, this is my name and I'm gay and I'm in the closet and I don't have any friends and yada, yada and whatever, whatever. And I wrote my phone number down and then I passed by this new gay neighbor neighbors, um, house and i just threw that that letter in the window and i just ran away i just ran for my life (laughs) next day (laughs) next day they gave me a call and they invited me in and the way i had to do to be able to get into the house was to take a whole route like a different route i had to maybe cross a different type of streets just to be able to enter Today, um, I don't know how to explain that, but uh, exactly where the door was at, it was close to the other neighbors. So if someone would see me get into the house, they would tell my parents. 
and oh. then that would be a problem. Yeah. So I had to kind of like do this, I don't know, uh, go to a different street just to be able to then access the door. Wow. And uh, so I met them. I was, uh, that was magical because that was the first time in my life that I was actually interacting with gay people. Mm-hmm. But and- interacting in a way that I didn't have to hide. Yeah. I, I could be myself and, and, and it, it was, it was just, it was, it was awesome. It was a great time in my life. It's something that I will never forget, forget ever. Um, and one of the guys that was living there, they knew Mari. They were friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's like, he introduced me to her and we met. And uh, from there, we actually never we never separated. We've been together for 16 years since then. What, what was it that attracted you to her? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can take like a half hour if you need, like a half hour, just go through all the oh, things if you God. want to. <laughs> She's a very beautiful woman. Mm. Let me just say that. Very mm. beautiful, very intelligent, um, very creative too, and a very loving person as well. That's what attracted me. That's what, that's what lured me, you know, to stay with her. And also having that mix of being Russian and half Angolan. Wow. That's just, it's just a beautiful combination. Huh. And it's just, <laughs> and when she's romantic, she can be like over the top. And, and it, it's just, it's amazing. She's my best friend and we just get along so well, so well. And she's the person I can count on whatever the situation. Um, I know that she will be there for me. And we just have this bond that no one can get in the way, if that makes sense. And it's something that I treasure a lot. And it's something that I know that a lot of people crave for today. And I'm so grateful that I have that relationship, this, the stronger bond, this strong with, you know, the love of my life. She's really the love of my life, honestly. So that's beautiful uh, <laughs> to hear about a relationship that, that that's that tight is just an incredible thing. So uh, how old were you when you both met? So, and then subsequent to that, how many years have you been together? Oh, I was about, let me see, 18 to 19, I believe. That's what the age, okay. 18 to 19. Yeah, we met pretty young. Does she like your music? Oh yes, she's a musician herself. She's she says she can, hey, it's, these are not my words. She says that she's like my biggest fan. So. <laughs> hey, that's impossible because I'm your biggest fan. So, oh, well, you guys need to have a conversation then. <laughs> All right, sure. We'll start the fan club right away. That's a yeah. but uh, th- that's great. So you say she's a musician as well. So is is that yes. something that you both had in common when you first met? That is something we had in common as well. That yeah. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. So you fled Angola together, right? You guys yes. left at the same time. And how old were you when you actually fled? Oh, when you asked me about the ages and the dates, <laughs> that's <sorry>. something. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, not a problem. Uh, so, Bob, here's the thing. My life has been so traumatic and only now I am being able to settle down. Mm -hmm. So there are things that I don't even remember and I have to 
most of the time ask Madi, oh, do you, do you know, like, when, when did we do that? And, and it's pretty serious because I, I forget about dates. I forget about, you know, years, things happen. Um, I've been in therapy for that. That that didn't work. That didn't help at all. Wow. So um, the year and age I was when I moved out, I don't remember. Cause that, that was a time with a lot of turmoil. Like we were literally just trying to escape the country. So I, I don't remember the exact age. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the last straw though for you? Uh, What was the thing that triggered both of you to just entirely bail out and make your way to South Africa? Oh, um, so we had this guy, this guy who would stay, we lived on the first floor Mm -hmm. and there was this guy who would just come Every day, every single day, every single night around like midnight, he would stay there sometimes at three in the morning and he would stay downstairs and just yelling and just cursing us out and like threatening to burn us alive in the house. And uh, he would stay downstairs also masturbating, looking up at our window. Um, So there was a time that we couldn't even leave the house anymore. We couldn't leave the house. That was the last straw. We could not leave the house. We could not go to work. Uh, We had some people who we knew who would be able to help us with food. They they were not gay. To help us with food. Um, But that was the last straw, especially because there was a time where Madi got into an actual physical, um, physical fight with this guy. And uh, we had a neighbor who, he was a cop, and the guy wouldn't help us. He would just stay there and laugh and just looking at the situation, and he would do nothing. We tried to call the cops so many times, and they will never come. Because if you're gay in Angola, and something's happening to you, and you are calling the cops to come help you out, as soon as you tell them the reason why you need help, they will not come to help you. So we couldn't count on our neighbors. We couldn't count on our neighbor that was a cop. We couldn't count on the cop itself, right? The cops itself. We couldn't leave the house. And that was just the last straw because it was too much. We were like prisoners in our own house. And that was, yeah. that was the last straw. So we went to South Africa to try to get asylum there, which it didn't work as well, unfortunately. So that was another stress to have to go back to Angola, which is the place we just ran from. So we had to go back there to take care of documents and try to go either to Europe or to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. In Cape Town, the Mm -hmm. issue was primarily they wouldn't give you asylum there, right? You, you, they just, you couldn't get the paperwork passed through to be able to stay we there. We couldn't get it. No, we couldn't get it uh, because yeah. the office closed down for some reason as well. And there were a lot of um, of gay people there who were seeking asylum or who also weren't able to get it. And mm-hmm. they had to go back to their countries as well. So that didn't work. So you were forced to move back to Angola and mm-hmm. is this true? A family member tried to poison you? Oh, yes. Can you, yes. Can you talk about that? 
Oh, that's a good question. That is a pretty sensitive information because this person is very close to my wife. But yeah. yes, um, I'm not going to get into details of who this person is. That's fine. But, only uh, only what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so yes, um, this is a person who didn't agree with our relationship, didn't agree with Marty being gay. Um, and, uh, we had a lot of issues with this person, a lot, a lot of issues. And, um, one of these days, um, this person comes to, to our place and sh they bring like a pot full of food. And in our minds it was like, Oh, maybe, you know, maybe they are getting, coming around, you know, maybe they feel bad now and, you know, we can build this relationship and yada, yada. So they left and uh, we ate that food. And uh, later in the evening, we woke up super sick, super sick, just, just vomiting and then sweating profusely Ugh. and just dizzy. It, it was terrible. Um, it was that bad that we thought we were going to die. Um, and, uh, Next day, when the person comes in, they look at our faces, but surprised that we were alive. And as soon as this person saw that we were alive, um, they just lost their shit and they just started like swearing a lot. And, and, and you know, just just they just went ballistic because the plan was to really come next day and not see us alive. So that was the plan. Oh my um, God. Yeah, it's, I, I can't really get into more details, but it, yeah, yeah. just to resume it, yeah, that's what happened. At that point, you're thinking, yeah, the, the writing is on the wall. I have to get out of here. I have to take Madi in and we have to get to where? You, at that point, you're figuring, if I can get a student visa, we can go to the United States. Was that the thought at that point? Or were you thinking maybe some other place in between? Or what was the plan? The when we came back to Angola after trying South Africa, when we okay. came back to Angola, that's when we went there and to take care of documents to try Europe or USA. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily, we were able to get you know student visas here and come as students and you know try our lives here. That that's how it happens. We really didn't know anyone but our friend, Melanie Nathan, who helped us a lot. Um, that's what it really is. Oh, it was. So when you get that news that you've qualified for the student visa and the both of you can travel to San Francisco, what was that feeling? That Was it a, I imagine it had to have been one of those incredible uplifting moments where you're like, okay, well, everything's going to change now and possibly change significantly for the better. So that was that an exciting time when you first get that news and, and, and you're on your way out the door. Tell me about that. It was definitely a, the feeling was the feeling of freedom, you know, mm. Oh my God, we are getting out of here. We are going to a place where we will be able to just live a normal life because that that's all we wanted. Just, just live a normal life. Just like everyone else. Um, it, it was 
definitely an, an exciting time. Had you saved and, it? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, had you saved up money at that point or did you find a sponsor to uh, allow you to be able to travel that far? I wish we had a sponsor. No, we, <laughs> look, I, we came to this country with, I think, 200 or 300 bucks in my in our pocket because we used all the money we had to take care of documents. We used all, you know, everything we had, we sold and we used that money to escape the country uh, because, first of all, we were disowned by our family, right, for being gay. Yeah. So we had no money left but those, I, I believe it was $300. That, that's all we had. Wow. And although we were, you know, we were so excited to be able to leave that, the country, we were also aware that things were not going to be easy. We are going to a place we've never been before. But in our minds, we're like, you know, even if we have to sleep on the street, we will. Yeah. The, the goal is to escape Angola. That's what we had in our minds. It doesn't matter if we had to sleep on the street, we will figure it out. Yeah. But we need to leave this country. Yeah. Stow away on a ship, whatever it takes to get out. Yeah, it yeah. Takes. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the elephant in the room here is the fact that you flee to the United States. Suddenly, at around the same time, there's this anti-immigrant, anti-gay, anti-woman mm. political movement. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the same as the persecution that occurred in Angola. But were you aware of the political climate in the United States that was leaning toward this movement that was ostracizing uh, so many people exactly like you? No, we didn't have much knowledge of it, actually. We didn't have much information. Honestly, we were just trying to find a place to escape. Either it's in Europe, either it's in the U.S. But when we got here and uh, we started, it was at the time we started the process to seek for asylum. Mm -hmm. That's when we started to see when things are in the U.S., you know. Yeah. And uh, we had to fight to get those papers and it took us it took us years just to get the interview itself okay more with king cyborg here in just one second but here's the best way to listen to the bob seska show without all these commercial interruptions just go right now to our patreon page at bobseskashow.com scroll down to the link for the ultimate edition of the podcast and sign up for just $15 per month. In exchange for your generous support, we're going to give you a completely commercial-free version of the Tuesday show, the Wednesday show, the Thursday shows, plus the Shadow Docket every Tuesday and Thursday. But wait, there's more. You're also going to get the Friday After Party podcast with me and Kimberly Johnson included in that level of support. In other words, you get everything we have to offer on our Patreon page for just $15 per month. Again, that's bobseskashow.com, and we thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska. All-time favorites all day long. So the asylum process, as is documented in this incredible documentary, Unsettled, uh, that you were featured in, that was a painful process as well. Because once you get here, you have to secure that permission to stay and talk about that experience where you're finally in San Francisco, but you don't know how long it's going to last. Right. Yes. Um, that was really a rough time in our lives when we came to San Francisco, although it's, it was like a sense of freedom. Yeah. Uh, just the process, you know, of having to take, uh, to get those, paperwork done and get the asylum and going back and forth with with the office and having to retell your story so many times which it, it was really it was very mentally exhausting because you had to go through the trauma over and over and over again and uh, you sometimes are talking to a person who doesn't even, you know, don't, they don't live in that, in that world of people who are being persecuted for being gay. So this is like a straight person just sitting there and you're telling the story and they are not really believing if per se, if if I'm making sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we also had to change attorneys later because it wasn't working with the first one. And uh, we didn't know if we were going to get the asylum here because things were pretty tense here as well um and uh of course there was always that concern that you know we might have to look for another place to to go to if things don't work here um it was a constant like it, it was a constant concern of wow um where are we gonna go as well right if things don't work here like sleeping from couch to couch is not being able to work because you don't have the paperwork to yeah. do that. It, it, it was, it was pretty stressful at that time. Mm-hmm. At what point did you learn English? Did you learn English back in Angola or did that not happen until you arrived here? Because you're, by the way, your English is just beautiful. I've, I've met <laughs> Americans who, who've lived here their entire lives and can't speak English half as well as you can. So <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. That was in Angola, actually. Yeah. I taught myself English. Uh, my dad used to teach in college. And every time I used to go to his office, I used to just you know, grab books that he had around in, in English and I would try to read them out. Also TV, you know, TV and music, that helped mm. me immensely. Yeah. So I taught myself English, which is not that good. You are here saying that my English is great. It's, it's not that good. There's a lot still that I struggle with, but I taught myself English. So I, that was from Angola. Well, your English is way better than, I don't know, my Portuguese. So... <laughs> 
It's amazing. Is that in Angola? Do they speak Portuguese there as well, or is it? Yes, uh, it's a variety of different languages and dialects. Or sure. So Portuguese is the main language, yeah. and that is uh, because we were colonized by Portugal. So mm-hmm. Portuguese is our main language, and we have also like an immense array of of um, of dialects like Kimbundu, Umbundu, Nyaneka is just a lot, a lot. But Portuguese, it's the main language that you will hear uh, an Angolan speaking. How many, how many languages do you speak? I speak, let me see, I speak Portuguese. Uh, so Portuguese, both Portuguese from Portugal and Brazil. Mm-hmm. I speak uh, a little bit of Kimbundu, uh, Umbundu, and uh, I speak Spanish. A little bit, and uh, yeah, I would say this one's yeah. in Russian a little bit because the wife is Russian, so you gotta know you gotta know a few things. I mean, that's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So San Francisco is generally known to be a safe space for LGBTQ people. Was that your experience, or did you face additional bigotry? I, I imagine it was a much easier life in San Francisco for you. Well, we definitely faced a lot of challenges there. Um, You would think that going to San Francisco, who is this place that is very concentrated in in the LGBTQ community, um, you would think that it would be like this haven for gay people. Yeah. Um, But we had a we had a we had different experiences there, especially being black. Being black, being a foreigner, right. um, we did uh, we did uh, in, find ourselves in situations where we were discriminalized because we were black mm-hmm. and uh, because we had an accent. Also, the community there it's not that united, which huh. is which is it's it's sad to say, but at least that was our experience. The community is not. It's not that united, and there is a lot of. Do you mean the a lot L- of? Do you mean the LGBTQ community? Yes, and wow, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of racism still going on in within our own community, which. Oh, wow. It, it shouldn't be happening, right? Because yeah. we already so criminalized, but the world outside and this community should be our safe space and and mm-hmm. and this this shelter that we could all like come together and uplift each other but we didn't have that experience unfortunately well on the upside the bay area does have this incredible music scene so were yeah. you able to almost right away tap into that or did it take a while to kind of uh work your way into uh that subculture it definitely took me a while to to get into that um the those years in san francisco were years of survival Mm -hmm. so uh the the concern was more to to put food on the table you know to get a job that sustained us um to be able to pay rent to pay the bills and in san francisco as you know things are so expensive Expensive. the rent is expensive (laughs) And even though I was working for Facebook, the money that I, that I was making was not enough to save up, to save up to buy equipment, to save up to, you know, just work on my art. That, you know, you, at some point we were just so 
depressed and disappointed that music really was put on the side because we had to find ways to survive, to be, you know, to continue living in, in the Bay Area. So it took, it took me a while to emerge back into music. So I had no idea you worked at Facebook. How did you end up getting that gig? Oh wow, that's a, that's a question everybody asks. Wow, how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's immensely competitive out there to get those yes. kind of jobs. So, uh, how did you get the job, and what did you end up doing? Yes, so I knew someone who worked at the company. Yeah, um, and uh, they were able to connect me with. There's a part. Facebook is very. It has like, let me say, different departments to hire people for different projects. Um, and uh, I applied for was content reviewing, which I can't really go into it because I still have an NDA with mm. it. But uh, yes, I got the job. I applied, and when I applied for the job, I was. I think that's. I believe that's how I got the job because I was very honest. I say, hey, this is my background. You know, um, this is what I know and this is how much I know and this is what I can contribute to the company and all of that and I got the spot I, that, that was really it okay more with King Cyborg right after these words okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So tell me about your uh, music. When did you start recording and uh, and performing? And obviously the process of uh, songwriting and choreography are integral in what you do. So when did King Cyborg first emerge? So King Cyborg emerged, the name itself emerged here yeah. in the United States. Because um, King Cyborg is like my armor. And it has been my armor for a long time now. Like it's what I created to shield myself from the pain and traumas that I was, you know, mm. that I've been through. So yeah. King Cyborg, the name uh, was born here. Um, as far as singing, I started singing in my country. Mm-hmm. Um, but of yeah, course, you, were, um, you were the girl with the moves, right? The girl who's got yeah. the moves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was a part of a, of a dance group. Uh, I used to tour, actually, with the, all these famous musicians in my country. That was a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but a King Cyborg was born here 
in the United States. Um, And uh, this is actually the country where I had space, you know, to perform, express my art and not being afraid of just putting myself out there and people find out that, oh, she's a musician, but also she's gay. Because that's something I would not be able to do in my country. Um, So, yeah, um, my music. My music. Like who who inspires you uh, to uh, create your music? Like what influences do you have? That is a good question. So influences. Let me see. I in when I was little, I you know I used to listen to a lot, a variety of music genres, mm-hmm. and that included jazz, blues, that included samba, kizomba, fado, uh, kuduro. So those are my influences. Um, and those, those genres are, are like music that, they're, they're like soul music. Mm-hmm. They come from the heart and those are like genres that you have more freedom to express your feelings. And mm-hmm. that's where I feel more myself and more comfortable um, so those would be my inferences. Yeah. Do you consider yourself more a songwriter or more of a dancer or sort of an even combination of the both? It would be a combination. Yeah. Um, so I am, I consider myself an artist of various form forms, but mainly a singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. That, that would be me. And, and so how did you develop the look of King Cyborg? Is that also an extension of creating an armor around yourself? Is there sort of a, a warrior vibe that you want to project? Absolutely. Absolutely. You just put that very well. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is all combined with, with my traumas, with King Cyborg also being this triumph for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, it, it just helps me shield the pain. Yeah. But at the same time, I am being able now to use that pain to implement in my art and, you know, being able to bring people as well who are going through similar issues, you know, who are also trying to cope with traumas and... And I just express that in my music and, and I share that to the world. Is this something that you uh, plan to do for the rest of your life? Like uh, music is your thing. You are at your core, a musician, a dancer, choreographer, et cetera. This is your thing. Or do you have aspirations for uh, other arenas, maybe in entertainment, maybe in something else? Music, music. music. I, I yeah. will be doing this for the rest of my life. Well, that's good to know. For the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. Okay, so I have things to look forward to. Perfect. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and you started doing it at a pretty good time when you can kind of make a name for yourself without having to go through too many gatekeepers. That had to have been uh, a refreshing thing um, to kind of come up in the internet age. Have you found that experience rewarding or uh, is it stressful uh, to put yourself out there like that? How does it feel uh, 
getting your work out as an independent recording artist? It can be very challenging. Uh, it can, and can be lonely sometimes being an ind- independent artist. However, mm-hmm. the amount of support I have found on the internet and outside of the internet I'm finding now has been tremendous and it has been amazing, amazing. Um, so I don't have much really to complain about that. Um, I would say that the challenges come more when you have to do everything on your own. Um, you don't have like a a huge team per se. Um, but you know, we figure it out. (laughs) We always do. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. In addition to uh, really admiring your music, in all seriousness, King Cyborg, I, th- I think you do incredible work. But I wanted to also talk to you about uh, all of these traumatic things from your life, your traumatic story, your uh, your escape from Angola to the United States and the persecution you faced in both places. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to ask you about that is not only because it's an incredible story. But because there are so many people here in the United States, especially the trans community, who are facing similar kinds of bigotry, uh, the black community in the United States uh, in the same way, and so on, your story is immensely familiar to so many people. So as someone who lived through political persecution, do you have any particular advice for Americans who might be listening to this show, dealing with their own forms of persecution, how do you overcome the pain and still persevere? You know, I want, I want people to first remember that finding yourself can be a challenging but yet rewarding journey. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to take this journey of fighting for what you believe or fighting for your right. Yeah. You are, you are, you know, despite what the issues that this country has, this is a great country. This is a country that you still have a voice. You can mm-hmm. use your voice. You can claim and fight for your rights. So don't be afraid to take this journey. Just continue the fight. Just, just keep going because this is, this is a land, the land of freedom, right? You mm. were you are here, and you have the right to live a normal life and be able to express yourself. Yeah, and I think one of the things that may separate the United States from a place like where you grew up is the fact that uh, here you have allies. There are people who not only are part of your community, but who are outside of your community, but who also defend uh, your community from uh, forces of persecution, forces of uh, homophobia, and some of these draconian laws that are being passed in in some of the red states. And additionally, uh, and this is kind of an overused phrase, but I think it really applies here, you are not alone in the United States, even when it does seem bleak to be someone who's different than the mainstream. Ultimately, there are millions of other people who I think, even if you don't know them, can provide kind of a support system. And I think you being here, you in particular, King Cyborg, is immensely valuable to our culture, to our uh, politics, certainly (laughs) as a fan, to our music scene as well. So um, 
just by way of a, a postscript in, in this conversation, King Cyborg, in mm-hmm. 2019, Angola decriminalized same-sex marriage. It sounds mm-hmm. like a step in the right direction, but do you trust it? Do you trust the culture to go along with that? What are your thoughts about Absolutely not. that change? Yeah. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, so here's my country. No matter what you, that was passed, right? That yeah. didn't change anything in the society. Right. People are still close-minded. There are still gay people being murdered. Just a while ago, one of our friends was stabbed to death Ugh. because he's gay. And these are things that happen. And the government just put, just swipe this shit out of, uh, like, under the rug. Mm -hmm. They don't put in the news. So shit is still happening there. So this thing of they passing, discriminalize that, that, that's not really what's happening there. There is still, there's still a hell going on in Angola. Yeah. When, when it comes to, to, to being gay, it's still very dangerous, especially for women. It's, it's, it's very bad. So this doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't really help anything. People are still suffering. People are still trying to escape. We have, we know a lot of people who to this day, they are trying to escape the country and they, we speak with them and they are just crying, trying to see if they can come to the U.S. And we wish we could help them escape, but it's not that easy as well. It's not that easy even to leave the country because you can't be denied right there in, the, in, in Angola if you try to escape the country. And if they see that you're gay, they can, they can find ways to, you know, prevent you from leaving the country. It's a lot of corruption going on in that mm-hmm. country. And uh, passing, this, was, uh, passing this law, it was just also a way for these politicians to get more access to our other countries to make them look yeah. as if they are progressing, but that is not the uh, the the reality happening there. There are a lot of things that happen in my country that you will never see on, in the news because they just hide that shit, and they have a good way of doing this. They've been doing this for for centuries. Do you feel like you're ever going to make peace with Angola, maybe even to the point of uh, eventually returning? Uh, is that something that's in the cards for you or you have no aspirations? Hmm. That is a good question. I believe at some point that will happen. Yeah. Um, it's got to be hard. I mean, it's, it's very hard. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. That's why I'm, I'm even, let's just say, lost of words because yeah. it's, Although I was able to overcome a lot of the pain, mm-hmm. it's still very painful even talking about it, you know, and yeah. I'm trying not to cry here. But yeah, I don't know. At some point I'll make this, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. right now I don't. So where can people find your incredible music and follow you on social media? Absolutely. Um, my music is streaming on every part platform. Um, so you can find me on Spotify under King Cyborg. You can connect with me on Instagram, uh, which is King Cyborg without the, vo- the, 
The vowels. Yeah. Uh, so it, the vowels, thank you. I was about to say in Portuguese. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it will be uh, K-N-G-C-Y-B-R-G, which is still King Cyborg. And that's written in all of my social platform. And it. feel free to connect with me. I, I love this human connection and be able to exchange you know, knowledge and experiences and, and just hear feedback from people. So feel free to reach out. Well, I wish you the best of luck and I hope we get a chance Thank to talk you. here again. And it, Absolutely. As soon as you drop another single, make sure to send it here because I'll get it right on oh, the show it's immediately. It's yeah. coming. You'll be <laughs> the first wait. one to know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for this. This thank has been you. an extraordinary conversation, King Cyborg, and I wish thank for you, so you all the best and, and the greatest success in the world. Thank you, Bob. I just want to thank you um, for this opportunity and to hold and for holding space for me to tell my story and and to talk about my art. I am forever grateful for this. So thank you so much. You bet. I've got all the links in the description. Thank you again. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. the moon we say don't do each other then When it all aligns